everyone. Thanks for tuning into the message podcast of Friends Church. My name is Alessandra. I'm one of the team members here, and we're so glad that you're joining us. It's been really encouraging to hear stories from people all over the country and the world who are listening in. We really hope that our messages are resonating with you. We also wanted to say thank you to those who are contributing to Friends Church. All of the things we're able to do, it's because of people who donate regularly. Even small, consistent gifts help a lot. If you haven't had the chance yet to give, I would encourage you to maybe think about doing that, especially if it's been beneficial in your own journey. To do that, it's really easy. Just go to our website, friendschurch.ca, and click on the Donate tab, or download our Friends Church app and click on the Give tab. Thank you so much for tuning in. Enjoy this week's message. going to bring back one more song in a second here, but I just want to uh, say good morning to everyone. Glad you're here, and uh, we're in for a good morning this morning. I want to um, tell you, I was about 10 years old, and I got involved in a midweek program. It was at our church, family church. I mentioned last week that our lives revolved around the church when I was growing up, and a real religious family. But there was this uh, two guys, they're actually best friends, adults, who started up this boys club. And my mom said, you should check this out. It's 10 years old. The, sh- the short story is that that boys club was the best thing I'd ever experienced in church. They took us on field trips midweek, Wednesday nights, took us out to watch the RCMP training German shepherds, taught us how to tool out leather, they took us fishing. They took us to gyms where we'd climb up these walls. Probably we shouldn't have been jumping into these high jump mats. Um, they let us be boys. The, the program, it had such an influential effect on my life. I invited up friends after friends after friends to be a part of this thing. And this boys club grew, and I mean, they had offered awards for people who invited the most people. They, they had just, it was the most unbelievable thing. These guys weren't paid, they were just volunteers who believed that they could make church and spirituality exciting for kids. I never understood any of that. I didn't, as a kid, I just wanted to be a part of that program. I didn't see all the behind-the-scenes stuff until years later I'd end up working with one of the guys who hosted that thing. He ended up being a pastor. And I remember talking to him about the sacrifices he made to make that thing amazing. And that experience, both my experience of it and then hearing his story, it shaped my understanding of volunteering. And from the time I was about 28 started getting involved in um, volunteer community sports with my kids and whatnot. And it's always kind of shaped in the back of my mind the experience you could help others have with some volunteer sweat and effort. And I've watched that to be true again and again. My kids, they've had some unbelievable experiences in their lifetime because people gave up their time to be able to make that possible. And a church community like this is very much the same. There are so many things that happen beyond this, behind the scene that for those that just kind of roll in or turn on YouTube in the morning, they don't necessarily see. But they're really heroic efforts on behalf of people who have diff- just different skills. And they say, hey, I'll, I'll give 
a day a month or once every six weeks. I'll help you out. And, you know, whether it's a technical team at the back here or it's, it's children workers downstairs who are investing their time not just to babysit, but to actually give kids an unbelievable experience with other kids in the context of their spirituality, to lead them to believing that one day they will soon make a difference in the world. Like that, these heroic efforts that go on behind the scenes, we don't talk enough about. But we're in this chapter right now of our church as we begin to relaunch where the number of shovels that exist, people that are needed to be able to not come in and just grudgingly pick up a shovel and say, okay, what do you need done around here? But opportunities to be able to influence people at all stages of their spiritual journey, from young children to students and switch, um, programs that are happening midweek, small group leaders. Like, there are just so many shovels now as we, can, we begin to reopen and give this thing public life again. And so I just want to invite you to be a part of that heroic effort. It's, it's what makes a community like this so vibrant, is when people just say, hey, what do you need? All right, yeah, let's go. We don't sign people up for lifetimes. Kind of say, hey, look, why don't you just try dry run this thing? Or why don't you come out and shadow someone on the job and just see what they do? Why don't you find something that kind of lines up with your skill sets if we can, or if, even if it's for a short period of time. Grab a shovel. It might not be the perfect assignment for you, but you're going to help. You're going to make this alive. You come alive. And so without further saying, if you'd like to get involved, we got, we got a place you can go on the website, uh, friendschurch.ca forward slash volunteer, volunteer. And it will list a number of different areas where shovels exist. Would you grab one? And uh, even if it's just, if you just say, look at, I'm, I'm in for like the fall. Or, hey, if you want to get me involved, maybe later in the summer, we go till December, I'll just try this out. Maybe you just want to shadow it and, and we kind of end up shuffling you. But we need, we're in the season where we need all hands on deck. And uh, because we have huge plans. This place is going to impact a lot of people. And, um, and you're going to be a part of that if you want. So um, we're really excited because our kids' ministry is launching. It's going to be a soft launch, Janu- July, January. We're advanced. We're really planning out there, guys. No, July 11th, we're, we're launching our kids' program. We're so excited. There have been so many parents. You've been doing triple, quadruple du- duty throughout the pandemic. No relief. Well, we're excited. We get to offer something for your kids to come into, and you can come and sit and be a part of this. Maybe contribute once a month or once every six weeks to that program so we can keep both things alive and have you a vital part of this again. So for all you parents of young children who have not been able to attend, who might be listening to me from your living room as your kids are bouncing around around you, <laughs> we got great news. It's launching. So if you'd like to be a part of that, um, please come and see us. We'd like to get you involved right away. All right? That's all I got. Trevor. Good morning, everyone. My name's Trevor. I'm part of a charitable giving team. And uh, Jeff, I can give this shovel back. I didn't know this. I thought this was lifetime. So that's good news, guys. Good news for all of us who've maybe signed up for things in the past. You know, one of the most interesting pieces is, I don't know if we're coming out of this pandemic, um, my ability to crystal ball has sucked on this one. I thought we'd have a vaccine June last year. So just so you know how bad I am at this. 
But everything I've been reading, uh, we're t we have a team meeting every week and we grab like a sort of a little six, six little page coal notes thing. And gratitude's one of the key components that we come across in all sorts of different fields, from physical health to mental health to spiritual. And I just think there's so much to be grateful for. I was out early this morning for a walk because it's going to be hot. And then I thought, am I really complaining about the heat? Remember, it was minus 33 in January. Like, like, what's going on in my head, right? Just in my head. I'm like, hold on a second. How can I appreciate this morning? So our deck, fortunately, is south-facing. So in the morning, it was really cool. So we had coffee on the deck this morning. I'm like, okay, might be the last time we use it today. But at least we got to use it. And as we, you know take our dollars forward and you know this is what charitable giving is about you you us we helping make this go forward thank you for that and just maybe being taking a moment just to be grateful for what we have we have a great band who's playing their hearts out today and yeah that's a did you guys know it was only a part-time shovel gig like is that news to you as well see there's a lot of things we're learning today but they do put in so much work and effort and so appreciated and that's just it's a great spot to give from as well. It's not as Jeff said that we just want your dollars. We want your dollars gratefully. We want this to be something that you believe in and you feel proud to say, yeah, I contribute to this organization. This is important to me and to my family. So, so guys, have a great Sunday. I will turn it back over to the band. They have one more song. They're behind me, all right? So they're ready to go. You guys have done a great job. Give me a hand for the band, guys, as, we, as they send us out. Thanks, guys. Morning, everybody. Thanks, Gregory. Wow, that song just, that lands, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, he's just said a tough act to follow. And I want to start talking about Breaking Bad. So tell me, how do you transition from that song to Breaking Bad? Anyone have a good segue? Uh, with all the lockdowns and staying home and all that stuff. I'll be honest, I get to the mountains a lot, but we've, me and my partner have probably watched more TV than usual. And so we started watching the show Breaking Bad. I know we're a little late to the party and everyone else is like, geez, but any, any Breaking Bad fans out there? <laughs> That's a great show, isn't it? So we're at the very beginning. So if you haven't watched it and you want to watch it, just stick your fingers in your ears. But there's this beautiful moment it's an old school gas station. And this guy pulls up in a Beamer convertible. He jumps out of his convertible. He runs inside to get something. And Walt, our anti-hero, the person who uses his chemistry background to cook meth to pay for his cancer treatments, <laughs> Walt walks up to the car and with kind of not really much fanfare, he takes the windshield wiper washer, sticks it in the, the, the juice to get it all nice and wet, and you're thinking, hmm, is he going to wipe the guy's window? No, no, no. He pops the hood of the car and then takes that soaking wet windshield washer thing and puts it between the positive and negative battery posts on the car. Now, for those of you who don't have an engineering background, that causes an incredible amount of current draw, which ultimately increases the heat, which ultimately lights the battery on fire, and then the car on fire, and then the whole place on fire. And just so you know, that was about three years of education that I never get to use, that I thought I'd just use on you guys for a second. So all the engineering that I've ever took, thank you. That was that moment. He lights the guy's car on fire, and this is the part that I want you guys to pay attention to, because if you remember that scene, 
What are you thinking in the moment? You're cheering him on. Walt lights a guy's car on fire, and I'm like, woo! So let me just ask you for a second. If, if, if we just took a, a time out here, and we went outside, we all went outside, and your car was on fire, would any of you be cheering? If my car was on fire, would you cheer that someone has lit my car on fire? Thank you. That's the right answer, all y'all. And yet, when we watch Walt light a car on fire, we're happy. How exactly does that happen? Now, for those of you who don't watch the show, or maybe you don't remember it, let's just rewind early in the episode. The guy who owns the convertible, the guy whose car Walt lights on fire, he's a part of my French, but he's an asshole. He's in like, the first time they show him, he's in, well, first he steals a parking spot from Walt. Walt's kind of lined up, you know, as you do at the mall, you're all lined up for the parking spot. The person pulls out, and this guy zoops, or zooms in and steals the stall. First a-hole move. Second a-hole move, the guy's got one of those Bluetooth things, and he's in line. It's like, yeah, I'm making more money than all y'all in this next deal, and, you know, I'm better than all you, and then he's like, talking about a woman who he wants to have sex with, but not in a way that's like respectful in any way, more like, hey, everyone, check her out. And the whole time you're just thinking, this guy's an a-hole. Through the whole show, you just feel this strong sense of like, this is not a good person. And so when Walt lights his car on fire, when Walt lights his car on fire, we can cheer. When Walt lights your car on fire, we don't. So how exactly does this Jekyll and Hyde thing work? How can we justify things that are horribly criminal and celebrate them in one context but not another? So let me take a step back, and I'm going to come back at this from another angle. Um, If you want to increase your odds of going bankrupt... There's one thing that will increase your odds wherever you live. We, the, people have studied this. I don't know how people got grants to study this kind of stuff, but whatever. People study this stuff. If your neighbor in your neighborhood wins the lottery and moves away, nothing will happen. You know, someone wins, you know, $100 million and they move to wherever rich people who own $100 million go and live. I don't know where that is. Not at my house. Nothing will happen. But if that person wins $100 million and stays in your neighborhood, the rate of bankruptcies skyrocket. Kind of a counterintuitive piece, isn't it? The reason I tell you is because I think what's going on is the power of story. You see, when your neighbor shows up, your neighbor who you've had barbecues with, you've seen them drive their crappy, you know, Corolla out in and out of their driveway for years. They're, you know, they're just like you, trying to make an ends, make a living, you know, have a good life. When suddenly they roll up with a brand new Beamer, and then the brand new boat, and then they chop the top of their house off and put two more stories up, and they put the pool in the backyard. Here's what happens, I think, in our brains. We look at them and say, aren't they just like us? And if they have that, 
we should have that. If they get a new car, we should get a new car. Nothing has changed in our finances. The only thing that's changed is their finances. But somehow, we tell a story in our heads that says, they're just like us. You know, they're from down the block. They're one of us. And if they have that, we should have that. And so people start going out and spending. And spending. And spending. Until the rate of bankruptcy climbs through the roof. Do you see how that one line, nothing's changed for us. Just someone in our neighborhood won the lottery. But we have a story in our head that says, we should have whatever they have. If you ever think the power of a story is not very high, (laughs) think of that study. The stories we tell ourselves can change almost anything. Now let me take one more step and then I'm going to bring it back to Breaking Bad. When we look at that guy in line with his Bluetooth headset, you know, catcalling people, stealing parking stalls, what did I call him? An asshole. And justifiably he is. Like, this character is horrific. But do you notice that as soon as I say that about him, I call him that, I label him as an asshole? Do you notice what we think? As soon as we label him, the story says, he's a bad person. He does bad things. He's not respectful. He doesn't treat people kindly. He's a horrible person. And if he's all those things, can we light his car on fire? A label connects to story, which is incredibly powerful. It can bankrupt you. Connects to how we can treat somebody differently. Let me just go through some labels, and I want to ask you this. What story comes up when you hear that label? Right? Calling someone an asshole isn't enough. It's if he's that, I can do this. What about if I'm driving in traffic? Some guy cuts me off and I say, idiot. What story am I putting at that person? What do you think? Let me just read through some labels that we use. They're not bad or good labels. That's not the problem. The problem is what story do we attach to that label? Someone says, oh, you're just a man. What's the story there? Or say, oh, yeah, that, yeah you're saying that because you're a woman. Someone says, oh, you're straight. Or he's gay. Or she's transgender. Or they're cisgender. What stories do we tie to those labels? Saying someone's white. Let's get a little closer to home. 
How about if saying someone's conservative? What's the story behind that? Or liberal? If you can call someone a redneck, <laughs> what do you get to do to them? What do you get to think about them? Online, you can tell someone, you post something online, someone comments, you go back and forth, also you say, ah, they're a troll. Do you have to treat them with respect anymore? Here's a good one. When you label somebody, I'm the parent, you're the child. What's the story? You listen to the parent, you ignore the child, right? I know more than you. You don't know as much as I do. How about the label anti-vaxxer? What's the story there? Or mainstream media? Or conspiracy theorist? Or sheep? What's the stories that come up for us? Label leads to story. Story leads to the ability to treat them differently. In Breaking Bad, I just need to say that guy's an a-hole. As soon as I say a-hole, he's a bad person. He deserves what he gets. We can do whatever we want. We can light his car on fire. Let's do it. We'll cheer it on. Now, here's, here's the thing. People think to my, themselves, you know, we shouldn't do these things. Labels shouldn't matter. We shouldn't have stories. But the reality is, you can't stop doing it, and neither can I. Labeling somebody as something other than us is as biological as breathing. Robert Sapolsky says this. Do you guys know Robert Sapolsky? He's a Yale professor, wrote the book Behave, like ultimate smarty pants. And I should have shown a picture of him because he looks like a homeless dude on the side of the road, but like crazy smart. <laughs> he says this, primates are hardwired for us-them dichotomies. That's what the labels are. When I say jerk, I don't say we're all jerks. I'm saying, I'm good, you're a jerk. I'm this, you're that. Us, this group, them, that group. We were out dirt biking last night or sorry, yesterday, yesterday afternoon and morning. I can tell right away, so I can feel myself using language. Oh, that group, they just want to do this. But we're over here, we're doing good, right? I'm like thinking to myself, I'm about to do a message on this in under 24 hours, and I'm literally doing it right now. Sapolsky says that our brains can detect an us and them piece in under 100 milliseconds incredibly fast. Before you're even aware of doing it, you're already figuring out who's us and who's them. We do it with labels. Jerks, preppy, cool kids, jocks. Think about it in high school. Us and them. And once I tell a story about them as being other than us, how do we get to treat them? It says, our views about things are driven by an implicit, unconscious processes. It's fascinating. Um, everyone knows about oxytocin, uh, the cuddle hormone. It makes you feel good. It's part of the, uh, the dopamine system. Uh, 
If you treat the, the us group well, you will get a hit of oxytocin. Your hormones will actually reinforce you paying attention to us and ignoring them. Your body is wired to create these senses of there's us and then there's them. Now, we do it fairly high level. We say, oh, that person's of that. They're this. Oh, they're just wanting that. We create a story through a label. Us and them. But as I look at this, I ask myself, is this how we want to be? Yes, we're biologically wired to create us and them categories. But think of what that's done in your life. You're having a fight with somebody. They say, you really hurt me. And you say, you're being oversensitive. It's a label that says, I don't have to pay attention to your emotions. Think of all the hurt that's done through these stories, through these labels. Right now, as we start kind of coming to the end, fingers crossed, of the pandemic, how many labels are getting thrown around? Wide swaths of groups are just being completely ignored, completely invalidated. You're an idiot. You don't have a freaking clue. You just pay attention to whatever they tell you. You have no clue what's going on in the real world. Labels. Instead of treating each other with love, we're able to do all kinds of brutal things. Name-calling, disregarding, villainizing. Just think through the people in your life that feel like the other. Feel how it feels when you treat them as other. Jesus has this amazing story. It starts off with Jesus and a person who's like him. They basically say this. Who is them? Whose car can we light on fire? Essentially is what they're saying. Like, who can we breaking bad? That's what they want to know. It's kind of like the Flames team, you know, fellow Flames fans saying, who do we love? Flames fans, come on. Flames, who do we hate? Pretty straightforward, right? If someone's wearing an oily jersey, what do I get to do to them? I can throw my beer at them. I can throw my popcorn at them. I can do whatever I want to them. That's what's going on. Two people who are the Flames fans talking, who's the Oilers? Now, in this case, they're Jewish. Jesus, the Jewish rabbi, and a Jewish scholar. They're saying, who is us and who is them? Who do we get to treat poorly? Who do we get to disregard? Who do we get to light their car on fire? And Jesus tells them the story. Now, in, if you look in your Bible, the title is actually the Good Samaritan. That's what the title of the story is. The problem is, we've spent so much time thinking about this story that we think Samaritan means a good person who does good things. Right? If I was beat up on the side of the road and I saw a, a sign that says Good Samaritan Organization, I'd go there because I think they're going to take care of me. That's not what this story is about at all. Samaritan for them means them, the oilers. 
the people we hate. They should actually change the title and say, the good enemy. This is the person. So if you're a vaxxer, this is the anti-vaxxers. If you're an anti-vaxxer, this is the vaxxer. The people who are not like us, the people we don't like. And so Jesus starts off this story by saying, okay, there's us. And the guy says, well, who is us? And who is them? And Jesus says, there was once one of us got mugged on the side of the road. And three of us walked by. Did nothing. Nothing. Ignored him. Then one of them one of the people we don't like. You know, think of whatever category, politically, socially, physically. Oh, them. One of them showed up and picked up one of us and cared for him, bandaged his wounds, wrapped gauze around his knee, <laughs> took him to the hospital, paid for everything. And Jesus, in the way that he does, kind of kicks everyone in the gut and says, okay, so after that story, who is us and who is them? Because us didn't do a whole lot of good there. But the enemy? Oh, the enemy did beautiful things. You know, for, for years, for decades, for centuries, Religion has been used to overcome the worst of our evolutionary processes. We're wired to see us and them. It's, you know, me and the enemy, me and the people I don't like. We're wired for that. And yet religion through all of the years, when it's done beautifully, is used to overcome those urges. What's Jesus asking? He's saying, can you think of everybody as us? Everybody. Our speaking schedule starts July 1st and ends June 30th. So this is the, kind of the year end for us, kind of like teachers. And so Jeff last week talked a lot about what the core friend church is. And we exist to inspire you all, inspire me more than you probably, to make our worlds a little bit better. But to whom? You know, when you're thinking about your partners, you know, when everything's going good, taking water to them, making their world a better place, that's easy, isn't it? You love them. They're good. You're kids, right? You know, you give your life for your kid. No big deal. What about the a-hole who cuts you off in traffic? What about the jerk who treats this pandemic completely differently than you do? What about those people? We told ourselves a story at the beginning. Jeff told it. There's this well. We think of it as kind of all the privilege that we have. We can use this well to make everyone's lives better. We can bless everyone, make the world a little bit better for everyone. But here's the problem. Right at the beginning, the people who were in charge of the well went, wait, 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 wait. Who is us? And who's them? Because we want 
to give the water to us and we should make sure that they don't get too much because we not, might not have enough. And so they built a wall around this idea that says we don't give to people who are outside of us. We hold it in. The story goes that the landowner's kid shows up and says, wait a second, this isn't what this is about. We exist to make everyone's lives better. Everybody. The people we like, the people we don't like, the people who are like us, the people who are different from us, the people who drive us nuts. Everybody. And for a time, they tore down all the walls and water was just going out. All the things that we can do to make this world a better place was just going out and making the world around us better for everybody, including the person who cuts us off in traffic, who, who steals our, our spot, who talks like an idiot on their Bluetooth phone. Including everyone that you villainize in your life. Everybody gets water. But then the us and them biology kicked in and they said, wait a second, wait a second. There's not going to be enough for us. And so they built walls and walls and walls, and they finally built a castle around the well. That's why we call it the castle and the well story, because we saw inside of each of us and inside of their entire spiritual tradition this idea that the water was for us and not for them. We saw that biological process playing out in all of us, and we said, we're going to tell a story to make sure that we never do that. We will not be a community that inspires you to take water to just the people who are like you and the people like me. We're not going to let biology be the be-all and end-all of this. We exist to inspire each and every person to make the world around them better for everyone. Jesus says, who is us and who is them? His answer, everybody is us. We're all human. It's okay, I know him. He'll buy me pizza later, it's good. We exist to take water to everyone. And so as we end this speaking schedule, as we end this year, I want to issue a challenge to you and to me. And I could feel it yesterday as I'm sitting there talking to my dirt biking buddies. What labels am I using? Who are you seeing as other than? Who is you're creating a story that says, you know, that person looked at me funny because my kid was crying in public, right? You've probably seen a few of those. <laughs> well, those are bad people. You can ignore them all day. Right? How are we using these labels to tell a story that says, I can treat you differently? You are this kind of a person. Therefore, we see it all through the pandemic. You're an anti-vaxxer. You're a masker. How much of those labels are driving the stories that are undermining the very thing we're trying to do as a community, which is to make the world around us a better place. I don't know about you, you're probably better than I am, but man, once I started to see this, I started to see all the different places I do it. The amount of times when we're driving, I call someone an a-hole, right? 
then I get to do whatever I want. I can cut them off. I can flip them off. I can do whatever I want. Yell at them. So as we finish this year, think through, become conscious of the labels you're using. With the people you love, oversensitive, uncaring, mean, you know, too sensitive. With the people around you, domineering, you know, you're being a jerk. The people in the broader sense, oh, you're just one of them. You're an anti-vaxxer, you're a vaxxer, you're a, you know, this or that, conspiracy theorist. Feel the labels and how they create that natural sense of us and them. And then use the religious side of you, the spiritual side of you to say, wait a second. Not us and them, but we. We are all together. And I exist and I want to inspire you to think deeply about existing to make all of us, everyone's lives, a little bit better. As we end this season, I just want to invite you to step into that for this next year. Be a force for good. Let our legacy be one that makes the world around us a better place for everyone. For the people who are close to us, the people who are far from us, the people who look differently from us, the people who look the same as us. May we be a community that never builds castle walls that say there's an us and them. May we always be a community that sees everyone together and lives to lift everyone up. That's the heart of Friends Church. And if you want to be a part of this place, I want to encourage you to live that out. And when you see me not living it out, call me out. <laughs> Have a great week, everyone. We'll start next week with the summer series. Stay cool. It's going to be a cooker out there. No run club this week. But uh, we'll see you guys next week. Have a great week, everyone. Sorry.